Babies are so important to our health. Did you know one third of the food we eat needs to be pollinated? But I recently learned something else really interesting. Bees actually play. A new study published recently in the journal Animal Behavior found that bumblebees rolled little wooden balls around just for fun. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to hear it's not all work and no play for the worker bees. This is Pulse Check. I'm Megan Messerly. Here's what I'm following this week. 46 senators wrote congressional leaders to address looming cuts to Medicare. The bipartisan group of senators, including Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, on Wednesday asked for short and long-term changes to the payment system. The request comes just one day after CMS released a final rule confirming the Medicare cuts and as doctors' offices and hospitals have voiced concerns about their financial outlook due to inflation and higher labor costs. Dozens of public health experts are calling on the Biden administration to stop using a CDC order designed to stop the spread of diseases, known as Title 42, from keeping migrants out of the country. In a letter sent on Wednesday, the public health experts say the continued use of Title 42 threatens long-term public health. The CDC tried to end the order in April, arguing it was no longer necessary for public health reasons, but several states sued to keep it in place, and the courts have blocked the Biden administration from ending it. And a new report from Virginia Senator Mark Warner, the co-founder of the Senate Cybersecurity Caucus, asks Congress to act on cybersecurity in the healthcare industry. Ben Leonard has been following the intersection of cybersecurity and healthcare. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What does Warner want Congress to do? Yeah, so there's really a number of things. It's a really big picture overhaul. And to be careful, I think we have to emphasize that these are sort of, you know, just like policy options. Warner isn't necessarily recommending all of them. But I think the one that jumped out to me really was the big picture call out for HHS to, you know, have more leadership, have stronger leadership on cyber. Because right now, there are a lot of offices that have their hand in cybersecurity in HHS, and there's not really one voice or one leader. So what Warner is saying is HHS needs to speak with kind of one voice, as he and his staff put it in the report on cybersecurity. There's a, a number of other things that Warner wants or, you know, as has suggested as a potential option, including, you know, minimum hygiene standards for healthcare organizations in terms of cybersecurity and also incentives, possible incentives in terms of getting healthcare organizations to upgrade their devices because a lot of them have these older legacy devices that are pretty vulnerable to hacks and things like that. Just to run through a couple of the other things, called on Congress to take a look at potential liability protections for healthcare organizations that try to help out by sharing information on vulnerabilities and hacks. And then, you know, adding medical devices to, you know, the strategic national stockpile, not unlike PPE that we saw during the pandemic. That's really interesting. So what prompted this report specifically? So this has kind of been a long time coming. Uh, Warner and his staff have been looking into this issue for a while just because of, you know, how serious the issue is in healthcare. Last year alone, nearly 50 million people had their sensitive health information breached. That's tripled in three years, which is not good. <laughs> That's a lot of people in the U.S. There's been a lot of push in healthcare specifically. Healthcare is very vulnerable to hacks much more so than other sectors because, one, it's a good target uh, because there's a lot of sensitive data that hackers might want. And then also because hacks can disrupt care delivery and hospitals will, you know, say a hospital is hacked. 
they'll be willing to pay a fair amount in ransoms to keep care going and keep patients' lives. You know, and we've seen ransomware attacks that have delayed care and possibly cost lives. So the problem's only growing as healthcare is getting more digital. Definitely. And you mentioned, you know, some of these best practices for, you know, hospitals around cybersecurity. I mean, how rare is it or how common is it for a hospital to have some of these policies in place? I mean, are, are have hospitals been pretty quick to respond in light of these ransomware attacks or do they still have a lot of work still to do? I think it really depends place to place. You know, places with a lot of resources may be a lot better prepared, but a lot of these smaller, possibly rural hospitals that, you know, have been struggling with COVID for years, you know, funding issues, cybersecurity isn't necessarily the first priority for them. So it it really depends on, you know, the organization. Makes sense. And so how does this report fit into sort of the broader conversation around cybersecurity in the healthcare industry and other, you know, policy solutions that have been identified or recommendations that have been made? So a lot of this is sort of in line with what um, the, you know, industry and experts have been pushing for. In terms of healthcare in Congress, it hasn't gotten a ton, a ton of attention in recent years, but it seems to be growing. And I think it kind of moves the ball forward in terms of moving forward healthcare-specific cybersecurity legislation. You mentioned that this is a growing problem. How much worse is it getting? So it really is getting worse year over year. We saw that in the you know data I referenced earlier, but also just there have been government reports about it. The HHS Inspector General found earlier this year that the agency's cybersecurity program is not effective, and it was you know gave very poor grades. The House Oversight Committee, one of their subcommittees, gave HHS a D in terms of cybersecurity, which was tied mm-hmm. for the worst among all the agencies that it gave a look at. So uh. the problem is really there. Um, you know, definitely some people in the industry have been kind of pushing for HHS to take more of a leadership role on this, you know, have a more unified approach to it. There are a lot of different agencies that do a lot of different things in HHS related to cybersecurity. So there's, you know, the office. One of them, the big one is, which is not so big, actually, but uh, plays a significant role as the Office for Civil Rights. It's a very small office with a very low budget, and they're charged with sort of enforcing consequences for these data breaches. And they're underfunded, wanting a lot more funding, and really just are struggling to keep up with, you know, the pace of these hacks. They really can have to pick and choose the cases they want to enforce. And they also have sort of a dual mission in that they're supposed to be enforcing it and fining healthcare organizations, but also helping them figure out how to make their cybersecurity practice better. And that's just one of many offices within HHS that is tasked with this. Um, so it's kind of a almost a patchwork of different approaches across the agency. Definitely. So it sounds like there are people who are focusing on this, but there's no one central clearinghouse, which is one of the big takeaways from this report. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like uh, Senator Warner almost wants sort of like a a head of cybersecurity at HHS in some ways to lead Mm -hmm. the cybersecurity response, you know, amid this growing wave of attacks and specifically hacks. Thank you so much for taking some time to walk me through this. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Both Pfizer and Moderna had updates on their vaccine programs, including their shots for COVID and RSV, in their earnings calls this week. Catherine Ellen Foley listened to those earnings calls and is here to take Pulse Check's 60-second challenge to tell us what she learned. Start the timer. 
Okay. So this week, both Pfizer and Moderna had their Q3 earnings call, and they both focused on their respiratory virus vaccine and treatment pipeline in Pfizer's case. Pfizer and Moderna both, of course, have been huge players in COVID-19 vaccination, but now we're entering this endemic model. And so they're trying to think about what the markets are going to look like now that demand for a lot of COVID-19 vaccines are slowing down. In Pfizer's case, that means that they're kind of pivoting to other COVID-19 treatments. So they started an early COVID antiviral therapy, like an additional one on top of Paxlovid. And they're also looking at RSV, which is another huge respiratory virus, particularly among infants and the oldest adults. They're studying that right now. Moderna is working on a lot of combination vaccines for COVID, flu, RXV, and mixes and matches of those. And that's what you need to know about these two major pharma companies' earnings this week. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Almond is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Megan Messerly. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. <laughs>